And hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. My name is Matt and it's just me this week. Um, Mike has some exciting news I'm sure to deliver next week. So he will be out today. But don't worry, this is still the Media Boat Podcast and I'm here to give you all the news, new releases, and thoughts that we would typically give you even if it was uh, if even if it is just a little me in the chair today. So thank you for joining us. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get rolling right into it. We always start the show with music, and we always start the music section with the Billboard Hot 100. I almost messed that up. Billboard chart this week. You have a little bit of a change from last week. Your number one song in the country is still, unfortunately, Last Night by Morgan Wallen followed by Fast Car by Luke Combs. But moving up to a new peak of number three is Taylor Swift with Cruel Summer. And number four, returning to your top five, Calm Down by Rayma and Selena Gomez. And rounding out your top five, returning to number five this week, Fuck You Mean. Fuck You Mean? I'm not really sure. By Gunna. That is your hot 100. So, uh... Not a whole lot of difference from last week, except, yeah, happy to see Cruel Summer continue climbing up the ranks here. Speaking of which, if you guys haven't checked MediaBoatPodcast.com recently or seen our Twitter or X or whatever, um, I have a new weekly segment, uh, segment, re- new weekly article coming up um, every week about the Billboard charts called Matt's Chart Chat, the first article went up last week and talked a little bit about the long road to cruel summer during the top five as well as some stuff about travis scott's utopia which we'll talk about again in just a moment but in the meantime let's switch over i'm going to move this over here so i have better access to it let's switch over to the billboard 200 your albums chart this week staying at number one is travis scott's utopia moving to number two one Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Number three, up a spot from last week, Barbie the Album, you know, soundtrack, of course, to the film. Number four, Speak Now, Taylor's Version by Taylor Swift. And rounding out your top five, returning to the top five, Midnights by Taylor Swift. Looks like the end of the U.S. leg, the first U.S. leg, I should say, of the Eras Tour benefited Taylor's streaming numbers. And she has a double spot in the album's chart this week. Moving on to the week ahead, the new albums coming out this week. This includes Carpe by Cautious Clay, Dizzy by Dizzy, Unreal Unearth by Hozier. Yes, that Hozier. He's taking you to church once more. World Music Radio by Grammy favorite John Baptiste. Echo the Diamond by Margaret Glaspie, Intercepted Message by OCs, and Snow Angel by Renee Rapp. Those are your new releases. And moving right along, let's talk about some music news. Our first story is a little bit of a downer. You may recall the Save Our Stages Act. Something a um, pandemic era uh, movement that uh, involved the government granting, supposedly, a lot of independent venues some extra cash to stay open during the pandemic in which they couldn't have shows. 
Well, unfortunately, we got a little bit of a depressing update about the Savior Stage's beneficiaries. Millionaire artists, including Post Malone, Lil Wayne, Chris Brown, Nickelback, Steve Aoki, and still others, received some $200 million in pandemic relief as part of the Small Business Administration's Save Our Stages grants. This is according to a new report from The Insider. The report it notes that some of or many of these artists own or have owned businesses or corporations that could qualify them for these grants, not by themselves, but the corporations they own, which were grants for the government and were not loans. Yet the intent of the shuttered venue operators grants, which were the result of Congress's Save Our Stages campaign that ultimately distributed distributed some $16 billion in pandemic relief, was to assist independent venues. The amounts were received by the uh, aforementioned artists, though, uh, if accurate, are staggering. $10 million each for Post Malone and ugh, Chris Brown, $9.9 million for Steve Aoki, him of the cakes and throwing them, $8.9 million for Lil Wayne, $8.6 million for the Smashing Pumpkins, believe it or not, and many more. Sources tell Variety that the maximum relief money many venue owners, you know, the people who were supposed to get the money, they only received maximum about $100,000. That is a drop in the pan compared to $10 million. So yeah, needless to say, just like the uh, some other loan programs given by the government during the pandemic, it did not go to people who needed it in a lot of cases. The vast majority of the money ended up finding its way to people who already had money and were probably going to survive the pandemic without an issue. Now, of course, I don't know everything about these businesses that people like Post Malone own. Maybe this did employ, you know, people who needed the help. Maybe this did keep some venues open that do support independent artists. But on face value, this story tells me that the money did not reach a lot of the people it needed to reach. A lot of those venues still shut their doors because they couldn't afford it. Something this grant like this was supposed to prevent. So... Not a happy story, kind of a disappointing one, but it just goes to show you another example of misused pandemic funds. And it's just, yeah, it's just depressing. It's just depressing, people. But don't worry, I got a happy story to follow the depressing story for all you Taylor Swift fans out there. And hey, Media Boat Podcast, you know how we feel about Tay. We got good news. Yes, sure. The RS Tour is over single tear rolls down my face, at least here in Los Angeles and here in the bulk of the U.S. She will be returning in 2024. Taylor will return in 2024 for three more U.S. dates. But in the meantime, we're going to be without Taylor for a while, at least in concert capacity. But don't worry your pretty little mind, because there's more Taylor coming in the recorded realm. As... The fans' predictions that Taylor Swift might use that August 9th, 8, 9 date, the last day of the SoFi Stadium dates, to announce a re-recorded version of her seminal album, 1989, well, they were correct. I hate to give credit to the conspiracy theory Swifties out there, but hey, broken clock is, you know, you know what they say. 
And it turns out the broken clock was right. Swift took several minutes out of the three and a half hour show to reveal that 1989 Taylor's version will be arriving October 27th, which by the way, is exactly nine years to the day that the original in 1989 was released. Just before giving a long-awaited performance of New Romantics, my personal favorite from that era, as one of the night's two acoustic secret songs. So now here we are on the last, or this is a quote from the show. Taylor said, So now here we are on the last night of the U.S. Lake of the Eras tour in the eighth month of the year and the ninth day. Swift began teasing the ecstatic, sold-out crowd. Yeah, she pretty much did this just like she did Speak Now, Taylor's version, where she had a big thing on the screen behind her, and she revealed the album cover along with the release date. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been confirmed that there's going to be five vault tracks attached to this on top of the re-recordings of the original album tracks, as well as the bonus tracks, including New Romantics. Yeah, I'm excited. I like 1989. It was kind of my gateway album into Taylor's... Taylor again, I should say. I like Taylor early on in the country era when kind of I would watch on Sunday mornings the country music top 10 with my dad. But didn't really follow her through the red era, ironically enough. And then out of nowhere, 1989 comes out. Um, I listened to some of the singles like Blank Space. I'm like, yeah, there's something to this. And honestly, I think uh, 1989 is the record that kind of unlocked my Poptimism era. And yeah, sure enough, um, it's still great. Uh, there's some down, there's some downers in there. It's not all 100% great songs, but it's got huge hits on it. Max Martin production is stellar. And uh, yeah, um, I'm excited to hear what re-recording, re-recorded versions of these songs sound like. Uh, another one uh, to add to the list. Uh, a lot of people pointed out on TikTok that this means after 1989, she only has her reputation and her name. It's the last one. Which order that they will take place? Well, let's be real. Probably that order. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, so that's your Taylor news for the week. So look forward to October 27th for more of her. In the meantime, for us, let's move on to the video games section. We start with the new releases for the week. Starting with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's on everything but the Switch. Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition is finally coming out to PS5 and Xbox Series X. Red Dead Redemption, as rumored for a while, is getting a re-release, but not a remaster as everybody was hoping. No, this is just a port, and this is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Yeah, can you believe that it never came out on the PS4? And the Switch. So anybody who missed out on the first Red Dead Redemption game, uh, here's your chance to catch up. We also have Shadow Gambit, colon, The Cursed Crew. That's on PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC. Finally, we have Vampire Survivors for the Switch. About time, if you ask me. Everspace 2 for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Hammerwatch 2 for the PC. Deluxe Edition people will get Madden NFL 24 this week. Everybody else, wait till next week. And lastly, Moving Out 2 for everything. So if you want to play more Moving Out, they've got you. 
Let's move on to some video game news. And we start with a little bit of a rule change over in the world of the Xbox. Xbox has introduced a new strike-based enforcement system for offensive player conduct. The platform holder has a range of enforcement actions that it can apply if players are found to have violated Microsoft's service agreement or Xbox's community standards. Starting today, and this was earlier today, this was announced, the new system will attach strikes to every enforcement, ranging in severity based on the inappropriate activity. For example, profanity or cheating will result in one strike, sexually inappropriate behavior or harassment and bullying will result in two strikes, and hate speech will result in three spikes. Strikes. Spikes? No, spikes aren't going to come out of your controller and attack your hands. That's a little advanced and honestly a little cruel. Quote, The system is similar to demerit strikes used in driver's license systems in many countries. According to Dave McCarthy, Corporate Vice President of Xbox Player Services. Quote, For example, a player that has received two strikes will be suspended for the platform for one day, whereas a player that receives four strikes will be suspended for seven days. Players have a total of eight strikes, and once reached, will be suspended from Xbox's social features like messaging, parties, and party chat, multiplayer, and others for one year from the enforcement date. I don't hate this. I think the strike system is um, effective in other contexts, and it could be effective here. I like the idea that it kind of puts the pressure on somebody who is a repeat offender who continues to act out. That being said, um, maybe this is just a world I'm not privy to anymore, but like, I'm just so out of the online ecosystem. Are people still awful online on Xbox Live? Or, God, they don't even call it that anymore. I guess just on Xbox online. Um, yeah, I really sincerely wonder if people are still awful on, like, Call of Duty or something. I'm, I'm surprised this goes for profanity. And if this is based on um, reports from other players or that technology they were talking about a few months ago where they were going to have an automatic sensing, like, voice recordings that get flagged automatically. I don't know. Either way, um, I think this will we work and i'm interested to see who this works on fast but like soonest and how what they think about it and if it actually affects anything going forward uh for the online community on xbox it'll be interesting i think it's a neat idea uh will it work we'll wait and see all right let's move on just rolling rolling along here rolling our second story is a little bit of hope potentially in the world of Pokemon games. I have been very vocal on this show about how I've been disappointed I was with the performance of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. But maybe this story gives us we maybe some again, some hope about like what maybe the future might hold. The Pokemon company is quote having conversations, unquote, about how to ensure the quality of future games under its frequent release schedule. It said the Pokemon Company has a long history of publishing new video games often. Only seven years in the last 27 have not seen a new mainline release. In the 12 months leading up to Scarlet and Violet's release last November, three major Switch titles were released. Legends Arceus, Brilliant Diamond, and Shining Pearl. 
I think it's a little stretch to combine those last two as one as one game, but eh, whatever. Or as two games, I should say. <laughs> However, the series' cadence appears to have caused some quality issues during the HD era. At release, 2019 Sword and Shield was criticized for poor visual quality, while last year Scarlet and Violet launched with many technical issues, which Nintendo even had to apologize for. These statements were made by a, a company rep at the recent Pokemon World Champions or Championships that uh, took place in Japan over the last week. So, uh, needless to say, it's, I'm happy uh, that these conversations are happening within closed doors. I just wish that instead of talking about it, they were actually putting out a patch, you know, and fixing the game that they already put out. There's DLC coming, guys. I don't. I'm not gonna buy it if the game still operates like this. I'm sorry. It's just, and I bet a lot of people feel the way I do. So, while it's disappointing to see a lack of action now. It's exciting to potentially see future action. I would absolutely take a couple days off, or days, a couple of years off if it means a better, higher quality product for the next console. Because obviously, we're done with Switch at this point. I'm pretty pretty confident in saying that. Alrighty, let's move on. We're done with that. No video games really to talk about this week. So we jump over to... Television, and we always start television with the sports corner. I'm pointing for Mike since he's not here. Point behind me. We start with sports set, sports center. <laughs> no, this is not sports center. You should have known by seeing my face. Uh, no, uh, we start at sports corner today with the NBA Hall of Fame. We have our 2023 inductees to talk about. We start with a, f- a few familiar names: Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki. Paul Gasol, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, Becky Hammond, Gary Blair, Jim Valvano, and Gene Bess. Definitely recognize a few of those names. Some of them I'm not aware of, but uh, if I remember correctly, this is not just players that are uh, recognized for the NBA Hall of Fame. So uh, a lot of people involved in the sport. So uh, congratulations to all of them. Next, here is your little update on the Women's World Cup over in FIFA land. Yes, the U.S. have already been eliminated, but there are still teams playing, believe it or not. You may not have guessed that by U.S. coverage of the the championship, but it is still happening. Spain versus Sweden and Australia versus England will be your final matchups. We'll know the big winner by Sunday afternoon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And lastly, in the Little League World Series, which continues right now, we have regional and international games happening. And that finale will be on Sunday the 27th, the following Sunday. So uh, look forward to seeing if your favorite Little League uh, team uh, goes all the way. And that will do it for this week's Sports Corner. I wish I had more for you, but I'm not the sports guy. (laughs) wait until next week in the meantime let's go on to television news we start with jeopardy getting a reboot you're probably thinking wait a minute what why not here not in the u.s in the uk yes the uk reboot of jeopardy will be hosted by none other than classic british broadcaster stephen fry and will introduce the family-friendly quiz show to a brand new audience 
This reboot will allow participants to play an extra round compared to the original format, increasing the stakes for the players. We kind of saw a version of this in one of the tournaments uh, this year in which a triple Jeopardy round was played. Two new images have been released by ITV, showing a first look at Stephen Fry on set. It has also been revealed that the series will launch in October with 20 episodes already on order. This makes sense. Uh, we are currently in the middle of a series of repeats um, here in the U.S. because of the writer's strike. Um, although they would have been on summer break regardless, I think. Um, so yeah, gives the production team an opportunity to launch in another country where there is no such strike. Um, so yeah, exciting to see um, a whole new audience uh, realize how awesome Jeopardy is. And you know what? It's a format that can work in, 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 in English. I cannot talk today. I don't. This is a bad day for me to do my own podcast. I got my uh, teeth deep cleaned today, and I wonder if it did something with my like. There was like a numbing agent used on the gum lines, gum lines, gum line, uh, and so I'm wondering if it like seeped into my skull and gave me brain damage or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a it's a medical mystery. Anyway, <laughs> what was I talking about? Jeopardy. <laughs> so yeah uk jeopardy catch it all right let's move on before i fall apart let's talk about the golden globe shall we you're probably saying to your podcast right now absolutely not why would we do such a thing and yeah all the mainstream networks here in the u.s are also in agreement uh, in agreement with that because the golden globes have not found a network to air on yet CBS, Fox, Netflix, Amazon, ABC, Disney+, Hulu, Apple TV+, The Turner Network, and the Roku Channel have all passed on airing the 2024 Golden Globes. With the Emmys initially slated for September, now rescheduled to January 15th, just a day after the Critics' Choice Awards, the Golden Globes are now under pressure to take decisive action. However, the Golden Globes for 2024 are still without a TV-slash-streaming deal in place, despite announcing a date already of January 7th. Sources indicate that NBC slash Peacock, which Detective Minds would have noticed I did not mention in that cavalcade of names, the platform that aired the 2023 show on a Tuesday at a significantly reduced licensing fee compared to the previous year's hefty sums, did make a modest offer back in March. But that offer was met with a polite decline from Dick Clark Productions, which is now under the control of Jay Penske's Penske Media and Tom Bowley's Eldridge Industries. Potential options on the table include networks like The CW or digital platforms like YouTube. I could also see something like what happened with the Tony pre-show this year, where it shows up on Pluto TV or one of those, um, oh man, those things have a great name and I forget what they're called. The ones where it's like a fake TV, but like a fake cable subscription where there's live quote unquote channels that you can watch. One of those guys. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah. Further proof at this point no one, and I mean no one, cares about the Golden Globes. Oh well. Let's move on. No TV thoughts this week. Let's briefly talk about cancellations and renewals. We have only one renewal to talk about here, which is that MasterChef will be getting a 14th season on Fox. So MasterChef not going anywhere. And then we do have one sad death to talk about briefly. Johnny Hardwick 
age 59. Actor, mostly known for voice roles, including, of course, Dale Gribble on King of the Hill. This is a really sad one, because if there's a voice that sticks in your head, I mean, beyond, of course, the voice of Hank Hill, um, you think of Dale, because, like, that show is so strong because of its cast, and especially because of the cast's voice performances. And Johnny Hardwick's production, uh, like, uh, performance as Dale was just unparalleled. I didn't watch a whole lot of uh, King of the Hill when it originally aired. I watched it much later. Uh, but one of the things that really stuck out to me is just the quality of the voice performances, and especially from Johnny Hardwick, just every single time. Um, yeah, and it's especially sad considering that the greenlit reboot of King of the Hill was, of course, going to include his character. So I imagine that right now there is a bit of a scramble to figure out what they're going to do. Um, I don't know if you recast it. I don't know if you rewrite it, if the animation's already done. I don't know. Uh, regardless, it'll be really hard to both make and watch a King of the Hill reboot without the character being voiced by Johnny Hardwick. It's going to be difficult for them, and I definitely do not envy uh, what they have to deal with. So, yeah, it's a sad one. Um, and yeah, if there's updates about the reboot, I'm sure we'll hear it. But in the meantime, we just, you know, thoughts out to friends and family because that's young and really rough. Anyway, let's move on to, yes, believe it or not, we're already in the final segment of the show. Because turns out when it's just me, business is like business. It's just business here. Just cruising on through. Not that I don't appreciate the banter. I love a banter. You know this about me. I love a good banter. We'll get more banter next week. But in the meantime, we have the weekend box office numbers. Your number one movie is still Barbie. Another $10 million this week. That's at 526 domestic. Your number two is Oppenheimer with another $6 million. That's at 264. Your number three... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem dropping off a big cliff this week with only $3 million. That's at 72. From what I hear, that's a quality old product and that should be making more money. Maybe word of mouth will get to it. We'll see. Number four, which um, has a wonderful typo this week. Meh 2, The Trench. I believe that's Meg 2, like The Meg 2, The Trench which made $3.9 million this week. That's at 54. And rounding out your top five, it's still here. Haunted Mansion with $1.7 million. That's at 53 domestic. Just edging out by not too much. The, vo the last voyage of the Demeter, which made $1.65 million at number six this week in its debut. That is your box office. New releases this week. We've got a two twofer for you. We have Strays, which is that raunchy dog comedy starring Will Ferrell and a cast of others. Seems really bad, but I don't know. I don't really care about dogs swearing at me. Maybe somebody does. And then also the next big DC bomb. I mean, question mark, Blue Beetle. Uh, which might be alright, but I just, those movies are just dead on arrival lately, and I would not be surprised if that's the same case here. 
Those are your new releases. Let's talk about some movie news. We start this week with some good news coming out of visual effects artists, specifically the ones at Marvel Studios. They officially filed Monday for a unionization election with the National Labor Relations Board, according to Yahtzee. Yahtzee, of course, being the crew union for Hollywood operations. The labor organization said Marvel's more than 50 worker crew had signed authorization cards indicating they wish to be represented by the union. These are visual effects pros employed directly by Marvel and generally work in Atlanta, Los Angeles, and New York. It, of course, and unfortunately, doesn't include the thousands of visual effects artists who work on Marvel movies through third-party studios. Quote, Turnaround times don't apply to us. Protected hours don't apply to us. And pay equity doesn't apply to us. That's Isabella Huffman, a visual effects coordinator at Marvel. Quote, Visual effects must become a sustainable and safe department for everyone who's suffered far too long, and for all newcomers who need to know they won't be exploited. This is a huge deal, and even though this only affects a small team of people that work directly with Marvel, it could get the ball rolling to get more of these other studios to also unionize. One of the reasons why Disney especially has moved towards such a CG business in all of their visual effects is because visual effects studios are cheaper to pay than in-house talent. And a lot of the reason for that is because they're not union. So that's why you have re-releases like The Lion King that take advantage of the fact that you can't make them literally like they used to, so you have to make them the new way, the cheaper way, the labor exploitative way, and make a, in my opinion, lesser product at the end of the day. So unionization talks is absolutely crucial for a business like this. It is a miserable, miserable business. The long hours, the ridiculous expectations, the constant feedback and redoing of animation that's already done. I mean, you heard it most recently with um, Spider-Man uh, Across the Spider-Verse with a lot of third-party studio VFX artists talking about their experience working on that movie, how it was long and involved a lot of crunch and overall not a pleasant experience to be involved in. It's just bad for everybody if this stuff isn't, isn't, you know, like timely and comfortably done and quality. And if you're not, if you're treating them like garbage, they're not going to turn out quality work. It's just, we've seen this proven. So yeah, here's hoping that this is just the start of a labor revolution in VFX. I think the movie industry needs it. And it's beyond late. Like this should have been a billion yesterdays ago. Oh, speaking of a delay, um, hey, remember the 2009 movie The Blind Side? Well, if you like that movie, I've got bad news. It may not have worked out like the Hollywood, like Hollywood said it did. Michael Ower, the subject of The Blind Side, whose supposed adoption out of grinding poverty by a wealthy white family petitioned to Tennessee court Monday with allegations that a central element of the story was a lie concocted by the family to enrich itself at his expense. The 14-page petition alleges that Sean and Lee Ann Tui, 
Tui, I'm not sure how to pronounce their last name, who took Oer into their home as a high school student, never adopted him. Instead, less than three months after their uh, Oer turned 18 in 2004, the couple tricked him into signing a document making them his conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. If that sounds familiar, conservatorship is what Britney Spears was trapped in. So this is yet another example of that being used for not so healthy, uh, like for, for not so healthy reasons for the person under the conservatorship. Where was I? Ah, the petition further alleges that the two always used their power as conservators to strike the deal that paid them and their two birth children millions of dollars in royalties from the Oscar winning film that earned more than $300 million. While meanwhile, Ower got nothing for a story that, quote, would not have existed without him, unquote. In the years since, the Tuoys have, cons have continued call calling the 37-year-old Ower their adopted son and have used that assertion to promote their foundation, as well as Leanne Tuoys' work as an author and motivational speaker. Quote, the lie of Michael's adoption is one which uh, is one upon which co-conservators Leanne Tuoy and Sean Tuoy have enriched themselves at the expense of their ward, the undersigned Michael Ower, the legal filing says. Michael Ower discovered this lie to his chagrin and embarrassment in February of 2023, when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented on the basis of doing so would make him a member of the Tui family, in fact provided him no familial relationship with the Tuis. So this is one of those where, obviously, a legal document is trying to make a point. And maybe, potentially, there's maybe some nuance that's missing from this version. However, I am going to take this at face value. I'm going to trust what Ower is alleging here. And that sounds really damning. All of this sounds extremely damning and kind of makes me makes the movie feel like almost evil in retrospect. This lie this fabrication of what actually went down he genuinely thought this was a family that had taken him under their wing and were a family to him and to see this so much later after this has all gone down and realize that that was never the case i don't blame him for feeling used that's got to be an awful awful feeling and so i would also blame him for wanting nothing to do with them ever again after this and yeah, I, I, I do I do hope, regardless of what happened, that he gets what he needs, that he gets the that feeling of connection with someone and these people just weren't it. And that if he needs to feel if he needs this legal proceeding to feel better about it, to feel like there's some sort of closure in that segment of his life, or yeah, I I, I feel like he deserves it. And so, yeah, um, definitely in his his court court on this one. Uh, but yeah, whew, that's rough. Conservatorships, conservatorships, man, uh, they seem real bad. <laughs> just from an outlier's perspective here, it just, man, they're never good. I, I would love to hear one story of a good conservatorship because they seem rotten. Anyways, enough about conservatorships. Um, I do have a real brief thoughts to talk about. I finally saw Asteroid City. 
That's the new Wes Anderson film that came out earlier in the year in theaters. It is now available on streaming via Peacock. And uh, I had fun with it. I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson fan in the world. I've only dabbled in his films. Uh, But last year, I was pleasantly surprised with how much I liked The French Dispatch. And sure enough, two in a row from the Wes boy, uh, because I really liked Asteroid City. It's colorful. It's bright. It's funny. It's got some great performances. Uh, Tom Hanks is a weird choice, but he makes it work somehow. Um, it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. Everybody seems like they're having a blast with this thing. There's some genuinely laugh out loud moments in this thing. There is a bit of a hum- human like story being told as well. Um, it's not the most consistent and obvious in his uh, filmmaking career, but I would say that... Uh, when it is uh, working in its emotional zone, I think it is successful and it works really well. I didn't think it's as effective as something like Barbie or Nimona, uh, two other movies that I probably prefer from the year. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely a piece of work and uh, maybe the best looking thing that he's done in a while. And this is from an, uh, an auteur known for his specific look. So uh, that's saying something. Um, I say if you're a fan of Wes Anderson stuff, absolutely watch this. If you're on the peripheral, I know that Mike and Kristen were kind of, uh, Mike was showing her like like some Wes Anderson uh, films in preparation for something like this. I think this is uh, something that may entice somebody to get into the bigger picture of his work. Also, I definitely kept thinking about the... Um, episode of this season of the after party in which it's a wes anderson parody just it just reminds me of just how pitch perfect that parody was and just how wonderful it was and they just got everything correct so yeah it's on uh peacock so check it out if you have peacock it's a good time and it's not that long clocks in an hour 45 media boat approved speaking of being approved by the media boat i have approved that that is the end of the podcast oh wait but is it? Because for the second week in a row, we have a fan question to talk to. So thank you for sending that in. If you want to ask us fan, ask us a fan question, and yes, it could be about anything, send those emails on to mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. And you too could have yours written. Written? No. Uh, read out loud. Read on the show. Tell you those numbing agents that crept right into my lobes. Just, they're camping out in there. Anyway. Our question today. Salutations, sailors. What were some either missed opportunities or swing in a miss that you saw in media history? Whether that be in video games, movies, or even music. I'll never forget the initial advertising for Titanic, where it was presented as an action movie. And, of course, as the advertising progressed, it was being more shown as a romantic movie with an inclusion of the Celine Dion song. I wish it would have been amazing to see the original cut that Cameron had intended. The other notable example I thought about was Brutal Legend, coming right on the heels of Psychonauts. I was really excited to play an action platformer with Jack Black on levels designed to look like death metal album covers, but instead got a third-person RTS game. Anyways, thanks for taking my question. Keep up the good work. Um, I have some answers to that, but before I do that, our um, 
on assignment co-host uh, Mike has written an answer, uh, and I will proceed to read what he has written. The examples provided are two different opportunities. Some mixed message advertising could be seen with Marvel films like No Way Home or Avengers Infinity War, where scenes were altered for movie trailers. An example of switched marketing can be the film What to Expect When Expecting, when there was a male sent I wonder why this is on his mind right now. Uh, where there was a male-centered advertising campaign to get guys to see the film as well. The second opportunity is something that could, should, work on, should work on paper, but ends up flopping, like most music artists who go solo from group projects, or an IP that should land with audiences but then gets bad reviews, or stuffed with comic, uh, comic controls, I'm not sure what he means by that, and microtransactions. Um, so, kind of a broad, broad answer. Um, but, uh, to your point, uh, the, in the question, absolutely the first thing that came to mind in the kind of hornswoggle, uh, version of this question is Brutal Legend. I also, uh, fell prey to that. I have a copy of Brutal Legend that I opened and played a grand total of one time. And yeah, I was equally as disappointed, um, in the fact that it wasn't an action platformer because yeah, the game should have been an action platformer, just like Psychonauts. But with the death metal vibe and Jack Black's voice, it, it seemed like such a wasted opportunity. But they wouldn't have made it unless, uh, of course, there were, uh, you know, like actual team of developers at Double Fine that really believed in an RTS game made in that style. Like, they must have been super passionate about it in order to get EA, like EA of all giant publishers in the era to sign on on this and make it and put that big marketing budget behind it so uh, i won't fault them for making the game that they of course wanted to make but uh yeah there is a little bit of an element of uh, misleading marketing for that for certain um on the point of the titanic you talking about titanic reminded me of one of the other big big uh, uh flops for a similar reason that i saw well, one, Titanic was super successful. And so they thought that, oh, well, if we market Pearl Harbor to be kind of Titanic-esque, this was only like two years later, in the way that it's an action film for the most part, but with a big romantic angle, surely it'll work again, right? Of course, it didn't. And Pearl Harbor ended up being a massive disappointment and also kind of a lousy film from what I understand. So that's another one that kind of, uh, popped into my mind. I think Mike's right. There's a lot of examples you could look at of like solo careers from people known for being in bands. You could ask, uh, let's say, most of One Direction, <laughs> how that's working out for them if you're not, you know, named Harry Styles. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of examples of that kind of thing. Honestly, though, um, not a whole lot is coming to mind off the top of my head. And I think it's because uh, when something just doesn't work out, the, the business usually moves on. We don't have big flops like Geely anymore with Jennifer Lopez. Uh, like that stuff just doesn't really happen. When something flops, it's minor because of just so much the huge tsunami of media that we have just every day these days. Um, not to say that it won't happen again, though. Um, if they come to me, we'll talk about it maybe next week when we get Mike in person. And uh, yeah, if anything else uh, comes to our minds, we'll definitely uh, follow up. But in the meantime, thank you for the wonderful question again. 
And like I said, mediabowpodcast at gmail.com is the email address where you can send your questions to the show. And that'll do it. That will be it for the Media Boat Podcast this week. Thank you for joining me. If you want to see our stuff, you can see our videos on YouTube by searching Media Boat Podcast. There you'll find our channel. You can like, subscribe, and click the bell for notifications when we have new stuff up. You can also find us in audio form if you like the traditional podcast experience on services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just pop in Media Boat Podcast and you'll find our show. You can also find us on social media platforms like the artist formerly known as Twitter, where we're at Media Boat Cast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast to find our page there. Twitch.tv slash MediaBoat, where you can occasionally find us streaming some video games. And, um, yeah. MediaBoatPodcast.com. I mentioned it earlier of the show. We'll have plenty of new stuff coming for you very soon on the website, including another edition of Matt's Chart Chat coming tomorrow. And on the first of the month, you'll have a Mike's movie preview about the movies coming in September. So look forward to all that, as well as an archive of our shows on MediaBoatPodcast.com. And that, then, in a cool 45 minutes, will do it for me. I have been Matt. This has been the Media Boat Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Good wishes over to the Nada family, as uh, Mike has a very exciting news for, has some exciting news potentially for you, everybody, next week. In the meantime, have a good week, and I'll see you later. <laughs>